Right, good morning to you. I got to tell you, this is a <laughs> this is a different experience. I feel like I'm sneaking in church, and I, and I, it's the first time I can remember ever being at a gathering where I didn't give a handshake or a hug. And I, I did talk with my PCP, and I said, I know I'm released from my quarantine yesterday. Would it be all right? I know there's some recommendations that I would still wear a mask, and I said, but I really don't want to preach in a mask if it'd be possible. In fact, Nathan was going to be up here today, but it didn't work out because he got COVID. <laughs> so so um, I said, can I do it without a mask? And they said, yeah, just, just keep your distance. So that's why we're going through the extra precautions. So whether you're here online or you're here in person, please receive my virtual hearty handshakes and holy hugs I give them to you all father in the name of jesus we ask that you would just cover this congregation with health and that whatever sickness we go through would make us stronger just like your scars when we're wounded make us strong for your kingdom for your glory in jesus name amen okay in this sermon series that we started about a month ago now we began with the summer winding down and the new semester starting and I thought, wouldn't it be good if we could kind of dive into God's word specifically on finding some direction on how we might break free from some of these pestering uh, things that trip us up all the time. And specifically, think areas in which we get stuck. This, this one today, <clears throat> this is a tough one. Finding some kind of freedom from being stuck in old habits. Anybody got any of those? <laughs> you know, some of those habits that you've been struggling with for longer than you want to admit, and you're wondering, am I ever going to find any freedom from this, any relief? Well, it's kind of like um, the little boy that was grounded from swimming, and he came in early that evening, and his mom noticed his hair was wet, and she was hacked. She said, what, what's going on? Why's your hair wet? And he said, uh, she said, did you go swimming? And he said, well, um, really, uh, and, and she wouldn't quite answer. And she said, okay, why aren't your clothes wet? And he said, well, I had a feeling that I was going to fall in the lake when I came by coming home from school. So I just thought to be safe, I'd go ahead and take off my clothes. <laughs> I think sometimes failing to plan or planning to fail in these areas is what kind of gets us in a rut and makes it stuck. Now, we are not in this Groundhog Day where we just have to endlessly continue making these still these same mistakes. Look specifically what God said in his word on this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is amplified on the first time. I'm going to give you three different perspectives. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior... He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. Look at this from the New Living. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That just doesn't sound like somebody that's stuck, does it? Look at it from the Passion Translation. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. 
Behold, everything is fresh and new. Again, the person just doesn't sound stuck. Um, the Passion Translation actually has an explanation of that verse. I've copied that in the slides to look. This would include our old identity, our life of sin, the power of Satan, the religious works of trying to please God, our old relationship with the world and our old mindsets. We're not transformed or simply refurbished. We are made completely new by our union with Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. We're not stuck. God isn't really interested in a remodel. He's interested in new construction. In fact, there is a story about a businessman that was selling a warehouse and some property, and it sat vacant for months. So vandals kind of had their way with the doors and the windows. So the buyer was then selling it to a potential uh, uh, buyer, or the seller was selling it to a, an potential buyer. And he explained, hey, all this stuff that's broken that you see, the doors and the windows and such, all the trash everywhere, that's going to be all completely restored and everything's going to be cleaned up. But the buyer said, forget about the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. That is what the Lord is doing with you and me. He wants each one of us. He has in mind to build something brand new, actually a a new being, a new person. Now, understandably, this, this is going to take time. It's not done in an instant, which seems to be anathema to those of us that we call ourselves Americans. I mean, if it's not instant, we just don't like that. It reminds me of when the comedian Yakov Smirnoff, you know, the Russian guy, when he came over here to the United States, he said that the thing that he loved most about America was walking up and down the grocery aisles. He said, I'll never forget walking up one of the aisles and seeing powdered milk. Just add water. Ah, milk. And he said right next to it was powdered orange juice. Just add water. Voila, orange juice. He said, and then I saw baby powder. And I thought, my, what a country. <laughs> The truth is, God making us into something new is a process. I love this quote by Alan Redpath. The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Our acceptance of Jesus and his offer of salvation to each one of us, well, that happens in an instant. But the transformation into a new person, into a new creature, that's a lifelong process that we're all in the middle of. I found this interesting. 1833, Charles Darwin travels to a South sea, the South Sea Islands. In one particular island, he came on. He was really looking for the missing link. And as he studied the cannibals on this one particular island, he concluded that no creatures anywhere were more primitive than they were. So he convinced himself that nothing on earth could possibly lift them to a higher level of living and concluded that he had found the, the missing link, a lower stratus of humanity that fit his theories. Well, Darwin held to that conviction for 34 years until he returned to that South Sea Island area. And to that island, where once were tribes of cannibals, 
He was now, now astonished to find that there were churches and there were schools and there were homes and people were clothed and there was spiritual singing. Civilization had just come in. He asked what had happened and he was told about a missionary you may have heard of before. His name is John G. Patton, who had been there for some time. It so impressed Darwin that he made a generous contribution to the London Missionary Society. God was changing people into new creatures. The old creatures were being replaced with the new ones. And yes, it was a time-taking process, but people were finding freedom and they were no longer stuck in their old habits. Okay, I think there's a clue here that's easy to overlook. Because any time a preacher gets up and says, okay, it's time to get up and stop those old habits and let's start something new, and we're barely into the new day. It's just like a New Year's resolution. We're already slipping and sliding and making some of the same mistakes. This passage that we're in, this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we just read, verse 17, I think that there is a clue in the verse just before it. Look back at verse 16. Look from the NIV first. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Look at this from the Amplified. So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view, according to worldly standards and values. Again, from the passion. So from now on, we refuse to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. I'm not sure that I can ever become unstuck from my old habits if I insist on only seeing people as defined by them being stuck in theirs. In other words, if I only view others as defined by the bad habits that they're stuck in, is it possible that I'll never find freedom from my own? From my own bad habits? Look how God's word puts this together. I'm going to take the first part of verse 16 and put it with the last part of verse 17. So from now on, we refuse to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. If anyone is enfolded into Christ, he's become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Could my struggles to find freedom from old nagging habits be related, at least in part, to my refusal to see past the weaknesses of others? To see them for their intrinsic worth as fellow human beings created in the image of God. Not to see them, by, define, by definition, what they're struggling with. I think this has to affect even our vocabulary. We don't call a person a so-and-so because of what they're struggling with. We call a person a person. They may have struggles. I don't want you to call me by, oh, yeah, that's our preacher, the glutton. <laughs> Come on, man. Call me Jim Bob. Yeah, I have struggles. But those aren't what define me. Am I failing to see past all in others? the way God sees past all that when he looks at me? Wouldn't that be just like God? To provide a key to our freedom from our own struggles. Remember one time he said, you say that you love me, but you hate your brother. 
Well, you can't possibly love me if you hate your brother. Remember one time Jesus said, if you do it for one of these, the least, then you're doing it for me. Is this another clue here? You have your own struggles, but you refuse to see past other people's struggles. What you about those sins? Those sins that they're involved in are terrible. Well, yeah, so are mine. So are yours. Is he giving us the key by simply seeing past the shortcomings of others and and really loving them? Oh, you guys, I came across this story last week. Scott Sauls is a preacher in Nashville. And he has this story about a nursery worker who he wanted, he wanted her name to remain unnamed. And she had an encounter with a first-time visitor named Janet. Well, Janet had dropped her two boys off at the nursery, and the pastor recounts the story. I'm just going to read. After the service, while Janet was waiting in the nursery line to retrieve her boys, one of the nursery workers quietly approached her and said that there had been some issues. So does everybody have this in their mind? The nursery worker pulls Janet to the side quietly, and this is what the nursery worker says. Both of her boys had picked fights with other children, and one of the boys had broken several of the toys that belonged to the church. Well, as she quietly shared that with her, thinking that, you know, Janet would want to would know that, well, Janet... In response, in a room filled with children and their parents, openly scolded her boys and then screamed in a bellowing voice a curse word. Well, immediately everything got quiet and everybody looked at her for what she just said. He goes on, deeply ashamed and feeling like a failure, Janet got her boys and sulked out of the building. No doubt, the pastor said, we were never going to see them again. But that unnamed nursery volunteer called the church office on Monday, and the pastor said, he asked, the, she asked if I could check the visitor notebook to see if John, Janet had left any contact information. She had. So the pastor said, I gave the nursery worker Janet's address, and unbeknownst to me, the nursery worker sent Janet a note, and the note read something like this. Dear Janet, I'm so glad that your boys visited you and your boys visited our church. Oh, and about that little exchange when you picked them up from the nursery, let's just say I found that so refreshing that you would feel freedom to speak with an honest vocabulary like that in church. I'm really drawn to honesty, and you are clearly an honest person. I hope we could become friends. Love the unnamed nursery worker. You want to hear the end of the story? The nursery worker and Janet did, in fact, become friends. Janet came back the next Sunday, and the next Sunday after that, and the next Sunday after that. In fact, eventually, Janet became the nursery director for the church. Later on, I would discover that when Janet started coming to our church, the pastor said she was a recovering heroine. the Spirit saying something to you about the people in your life? Because I got to believe that a nursery worker like that who chose to see past someone else's failures, that nursery worker has got to be living in some kind of freedom. From now on, 
we regard no one, no one, from a worldly point of view. In Christ is a new creation. Why? Because old habits do not stand a chance against someone who is being made new in Christ. So, there's a whole new world of light and wonder and life to be found in the people that God's got around us right now in our circles. May we see each other as God sees each of us. Father, I pray that as Mark said so eloquently at the Lord's table, that whatever storm we're going through, specifically in relationships and the people that we work with, the people that we play with, the people that we go to school with, that when those glaring <laughs> mistakes come forward, that we would see through that like walking through crepe paper. It, 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 would be, it wouldn't even make us pause because we would know that that is a fellow human being created in your image and we would refuse to define anyone by any sin that they are struggling with. Father, this is our prayer. Hear this as we sing this together. In Jesus' name, amen.